On today's episode of the Fandom Science Podcast, I'm joined by a world-leading expert on motivational processes, Dr. Robert Valorand, to talk about the psychology of passion, not only within sports and for athletes, but also in our daily lives as well. So we talked about what it means to be passionate about something. Is passion always a good thing or can it be harmful? How can we find activities or even careers to be passionate about and then pursue them in our lives? Dr. Valorand has spent his whole career studying this subject and has published hundreds of papers on passion as well as motivation and positive psychology. Among them are his two books, Passion for Work and The Psychology of Passion, A Dualistic Model. You can find both of those books in the description box below as well as a link to Dr. Valorand's website so that you can check it out. Hope you enjoy this episode and as always, if you do, please like, share and subscribe to the podcast for the best sports science content. Well, thanks so much for taking the time to chat today. I really appreciate it. And um, a lot of people are excited when they heard that you're coming on because this is a, you know, one of those episodes where although it's a sports science show, this is something that people in and out, outside of sports can learn from because passion is something we all uh, experience in our daily lives. So I'm very grateful that you took the time to, to do this well, today. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so first things first, how did you get into this field? What led you to study the, the construct of passion? Well, you know, uh, people, people may not know this, but before in a you know, former lifetime, I guess, you know, before science, I was a, uh, I guess still am a basketball player. So mm-hmm. I played for the Quebec team and played university ball and scholarship and so on. And so basketball was really a big chunk of my life w- way back then. And then got, a, got hooked and got, became passionate about, about science and, and research. And, and then started getting into back in the day, intrinsic motivation which was the closest thing to what I was experiencing as an athlete and then uh, I did a lot of research on motivation and st- we're still doing some stuff on motivation but then at some point you know like um, I started realizing that there's more you know to to you know motivation than 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 what we had been studying and then one of my students came 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 in one day with this astute question and she asked a very simple question. Can intrinsic motivation, can it be bad for you? And, and I said, wow, what a great question. I said, yeah, of course. Then we looked at the literature, there was nothing. Even to this day, all, you, know, you look at the research, everything related to intrinsic motivation, there's positive consequences, no negative effect. And to me, it doesn't resonate. We all know that, for instance, ice cream, people love ice cream, that they start eating more than they, they should do. And then at some point, either they, 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 get, you know, they, they get sick or they, they gain some weight or so. Obviously, but there's, there was nothing out there. So we said, wow. So maybe what we should be looking at is something, a different construct. And I said, well, when I was a basketball player playing university ball and so on, you know, it was more than just, for the fun of it, for the love of it. There was more fuel behind it. So I think it was passion. And we started looking at passion. And I remember one of my former students and she went to look at the literature and then, uh, and then she came back and said, Bob, you won't believe it. There's nothing out there. I said, come on, 
you know, we talk about it every day. There has to be tons of studies on fashion. That was in the late 90s. And then, gee, you know, they, she was right. I mean, there was basically nothing. So we, we found ourselves in a peculiar position where, you know, we were ready to open up a new field of in scientific inquiry in, into passion because there was nothing, no theory, no. Uh, so we, I, we, we went and looked at the philosophers. So the Greek philosophers who said, you know, on the one hand, oh my God, you know, don't look at, don't get into passion. It's bad for your reason is the thing that you need. And, and then we look at the romantics, you know, Jean-Jacques Rousseau and, and, and Kierkegaard. And even Kierkegaard said, you know, life is not worth living without passion. So on the one hand you have, you know, and Hegel said that nothing in this world that, that is great has been done without passion. So passion you know, on the one hand is bad for you. On the other thing, you actually need this thing and life is not worth living without it. So, so which one is right? So, you know, we, we started looking at, into, you know, assessing passion, we develop our theory and then assessment tools. And then, and so we, we got into this very interesting situation where in 2003 with a GPSP paper, uh, we opened up a new field and then very exciting, but at the same time, you know, a bit of anxiety a little bit because you say, wow, you know, we got a huge responsibility here because whatever we're going to say, people are going to jump on it, and they have. And and you know, it's a huge follow-up on, on research on passion, and and it has led us to, you know, define passion as something that you love, but in addition to that, very important for you. It it is central in your identity. It's something you spend a lot of time and energy on. And, and it's something that uh, you really care about. It, it's meaningful to you. Uh, but then just like the, you know, the duality of passion that you have with the, the Greek philosophers and then the romantics, we, we came up with the thing that there are two types of passion, harmonious and obsessive. And so that, that, that's the kind of thing that we came up with. And uh, very exciting that they, now people have pursued our work and then there's more, much more research now. One of my colleagues at... Um, New York University of Udavi was saying that Bob, there has to be beyond 600, you know, studies that have been done now on passion, you know, since the, you know, the, and probably more because, you know, maybe he meant like publications, uh, because that we know that we've got a few books out now and that it's, it's beyond control, you know, it's kind of cool, you know, because then people come up with different hypotheses and it's, across, you know, life, you know, like in education and work and sports, leisure and politics and, you know, research that takes this, this thing in different directions. And it, it is very exciting. And, and, and really it's um, for us in the field, it's, it's uh, every day we all see what's new, what's coming up and stuff. like. So it's kind of, kind of cool, you know? Yeah. So the field has really exploded after your, after the initial kind of exploration of this construct. Clearly, it's yeah. uh, and and the good thing is that um, we've been able to do you know, some some interesting stuff methodologically uh, in the sense that we have a scale which is uh, like my good friend Herb Marsh at Australian Catholic University. We did a paper in 2013, and we look at different types of analyses and you know confirmatory factor analysis, exploratory, and then that we did some you know equivalence. See the, the invariance. Is it invariant as a function of types of activities? Yes, it's you know five types of activities. Is it invariant? The scale is invariant uh, for gender and 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 so on. And then Herb said this thing won't die. It's so it's it's rock solid. So the scale is very. But in addition to the scale, 
what we did is that we also developed some um, some procedures where we, when we know that people are passionate, let's say for basketball, then you can bring these people in or even online. And then you can actually use procedures to induce either harmonious or obsessive passion for, you know, the uh, basketball. Once we know their passion for something, we, so we can trigger one or the other. And mm-hmm. then, and then people behave for the next hour or so as if they were, you know, predominantly harmonious or obsessive in their passion. So kind of cool. So before we get into, into those details, uh, we mentioned uh, a few times already the, the duality of passion, the two sides of it. Uh, before I read your work and got to know this area of, of, of psychology, I always thought that passion was one thing and that it's always positive. It's always great to have. Um, but then what I've learned recently is that there's two sides of it. Uh, can you explain this duality and what the two different types of passion are, how they differ right. from each other? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good point. You know, before getting into more into details here, we need to define that. So harmonious, you know, the types of passion that you develop for an activity uh, depends on how it would be internalized in your identity. So for instance, because, you know, identity is central to the issue of passion. So for instance, if I, I start playing basketball, you know, in high school or, you know, because I want to be popular at school, I love this thing, but I want to make sure that I'm popular, you know, with the other guys or maybe with, with girls, whatever. And um, then there is this, this other side of things that's more, a bit more extrinsic in perspective. So, so there will be, lead you to inter- internalize, you know, the, the, the new activity basketball, but more in a uh, controlled way so that actually at some point as it gets deeper into you and you get more involved, this activity, you know, can come and control you. So in a more, um, you know, lay perspective, you know, harmonious passion is when you, you, you love this thing, but you control the activity. Obsessive passion is when the activity comes to control you. So your passion becomes out of control with obsessive passion and with harmonious passion, it's still under control. Now, this is more conceptual in nature, but still important, uh, I think, to, um, uh, to underscore. Uh, we believe conceptually that the two types of passion are on two different continuums. A lot of people believe continuum. So people may believe that, for instance, one end of the continuum is harmonious and the, so passion is on one continuum. Uh, that's not what we find empirically in, the, in, in any ways, you know, like since the beginning, we, we assumed there were two different continuums and you can jump from one to the other. And actually, you can actually take people and when you follow them, you know, for weeks or months or something, you can see that depending on what's happening in their life, uh, they can be more uh, obsessive at some point, more obsessive, more harmonious. But you can have either uh, in terms of clusters, some people may be more in the truly harmonious passion and low obsessive cluster. Other people may be more in the obsessive cluster, if you want. But it's also th- true at the, at the, at the person uh, variable in the sense that for one given individual, you can move from one to the other. For instance, you may love, you know, like your undergraduate degree and you, you go to class and stuff, but then midterms, oh, you go crazy. Right, so so you become obsessive for this short period of time. Put some stuff aside, become more obsessive, and then you revert back. Uh, athletes, you know, professional athletes trying to be as harmonious as possible, but then come the playoffs, mm-hmm. and then they start focusing. So you have these things where the situation will dictate, and as if you know, you press on the right button, and then you become more harmonious or obsessive, 
But in the nutshell, generally people may have a more predominant type of fascia harmonious or obsessive, which the scale will you know, allow us to identify. But you can still push the right buttons and just like people at work, you have a certain type of boss that puts a lot of pressure on you. You love what you do, but then it becomes more obsessive and everything. And coaches, same thing. So teachers and so on. So it can sway you a little bit. And at some point you may have to make decision. Is this the right environment for me or not? And so on. So, so you mentioned pushing the right buttons and you, you mentioned one of the studies you've done. So where you bring in basketball players and then you influence them or you prime them to have one type of passion over the other. How do you do that exactly? How do you influence them? Well, I could tell you, but then you would know too much. No, <laughs> and you're, and then you're in danger. <laughs> no. Well, what do we do? Uh, we've done uh, studies uh, with um, colleagues, um, a good friend of mine, you know, uh, Dr. Belanger at NYU Abu Dhabi, and then he brought in people in the lab. And then he would, what, what we do, and you can do it online. And then so we've done dozens of studies like that. What you do is you actually ask people to, to write down uh, for maybe a couple of minutes, you know, uh, last time ref to reflect on, on a situation where they were either clearly, we, we put them in a mind frame where they were harmoniously passionate. So remember, you know, when engaging in the activity was really in harmony with the rest of your life, when things were going well, enjoying the activity, but still in, in, in you know, in, in harmony with the with your other stuff with your relationships with you know work whatever and how did you feel and please elaborate and so you put them in a mind frame where they're more harmonious with obsessive remember a time you know the, the opposite where basically you know um, basketball was the only thing in your life where you focus only on it and put everything aside please elaborate and so on so we put them in this mind frame and then and then, then we, the study begins, and then you know we look at whatever we want to look at in terms of uh, consequences and so on. So that's how we right. do. So how do you how do you measure it? Do you have a scale, uh, or sorry, do you have like a questionnaire that you've constructed? Um, yeah, with, with... yeah. The passion scale is you know the, how we identify people's predominant you know passion mm -hmm. in for our given activity because very important point is that passion is not a trait. You know, right. you could be. You know, like, for instance, I, I can see your piano there and then, you know, you presumably you may be passionate for the piano, but you may not be for the guitar, for instance. Mm -hmm. So you, even within music, you know, you'd be passionate for one instrument and not for another one. Same thing for me, you know, like I, I'm passionate for the guitar and but not necessarily for the piano, although I do have a piano downstairs. So at some point, <laughs> you know, when my my son is done playing with it, I may I may give it a shot and see what happens. But the passion is not there. It may develop, we'll see how it goes. Um, and we do find there, there's, which is kind of interesting, there's about 20% of people who are not passionate you know, for anything. And we've started doing stuff on that and the research. And then um, what we find is that these people actually suffer, you know, because we believe that passion is important you know, uh, to help you grow as an individual. Mm -hmm. Now, what we find in our research is that the growth could be you know, limited, circumscribed to the activity you're passionate about, especially if you have an obsessive passion, then you put all your energy into this activity and you neglect other aspects of your life. So you won't develop as much as you know, in other areas of your life. Where, whereas with harmonious passion, you do become an expert in the area you're passionate about, but you also grow in other aspects of your life, mm -hmm. which is kind of cool because then it's full growth. 
both within the activity you're passionate about and outside of it. So the scale mm -hmm. allows us, the passion scale, to look at harmonious and, and obsessive passion. And also we have what we call the, uh, the passion criteria to just to make sure that people are passionate. So with the, uh, the five items, you know, like what I mentioned before, is a part of your identity. This activity is part of your identity. You love it. It's important for you. Uh, you do spend a lot of time and energy on it, and you perceive it, this activity, as a passion for you. So this is captures the, the mm -hmm. two sides of it. Uh, so for people listening right now, um, they're trying to identify whether their their main activity that they're interested in, whether they're engaging in in um, in obsessive passion or not, whether they're athletes or not. How what are the telltale signs that they can kind of recall and find out whether they're actually being obsessive or not? Right. Uh, good question. Um, well, a lot of people believe that, you know, if you spend a lot of time on it, you know, that, ha, ah, that's it, you're obsessive. Well, we have a different take on it. I think that because a lot of the findings we, we, we find, and I'll get into that later, we control for the number of hours. Um, basically, for me, you know, if you want to find out if you're obsessive or not about something is that when you, let's say you're an athlete and you, you go and then you, you go, let's say, um, you know, basketball, because I know the sport much more. So you go and, and practice your shooting, you do your drills. And if you're really, you know, passionate about it, you will go, you will go beyond the, the team practice and you, you have individual practice, practice your shot, your moves, you may put chairs on, uh, on the floor. So you have, you know, you know, triple threat, whatever, go for a shot, go for a drive and so on. Then, you know, you may, you may hit three times a week, you hit the weights and you do all the stuff you, and you may engage in visual, visualization, you know, to help you prepare and stuff. Once you've done everything, can you close down the book and, and move to some other activities? Or even when you're engaged in a dual activity, you start ruminating about basketball. So that you're, you're, you're talking with your boyfriend, girlfriend, or just, just your friends and so on. And while, you know, they're asking you a question, your mind is still... In, you know, about basketball, the next time I play, I'll do this, I'll do that, I know what to do, maybe I should try this. If you cannot put down basketball and it stays with you, even if you're not physically engaging in it, um, then that, that's a sign that actually you're more obsessive about it. Than, um, and, you know, it, it, it takes strength, you know, I, I believe to, to, be, to be able to say, okay, I've done all I could today. Even if I close down the shop, I will still be good tomorrow. A lot of people believe that they don't dare let go because they're afraid that if they let go of the activity they're passionate about, something magical will happen and then they will lose some of the greatness they have achieved or they won't achieve greatness and so on. Mm -hmm. What our research suggests is that um, it's the opposite. You know, I think that a lot of people achieve greatness in spite of the obsessive side of it, not because of it. Uh, I think that they, you know, we find in our research, and I'm, I know I'm jumping the gun a little bit in terms of outcomes, but uh, looking at, you know, high-level athletes uh, on national teams and so on, and then um, there's two roads to excellence, the harmonious and the obsessive. If you're passionate, you won't let go. You'll keep going at it, and you'll focus hard. But because you're more harmonious, you know, you enjoy what you do, and then you can close down the shop and engage in some of the stuff which will prevent you from engaging in burnout, experiencing burnout. Mm -hmm. If you're obsessive, you don't dare let go. And because of that, you become stale. 
uh, and it will, it will actually eat away at your uh, level of, of well-being and so on. And eventually, it can come back and bite you from behind and actually take some energy away from your, the activity you're passionate about. So uh, we do find the harmonious and obsessive side of, of excellence. And uh, we've even done a study, well, we, uh, very interesting study over 15 years, where we followed hockey players from midget AAA, and we had over close to a thousand athletes, uh, hockey players, and who eventually becomes a professional hockey player. Mm-hmm. And what we find is that, you know, both the harmonious and obsessive passion will lead you to persist over time. But with, you know, harmonious passion, what happened is that uh, during these 15 years, you're happy. You have a life. You can still enjoy the other stuff in life. Um, to, to me, one of the things that um, I don't like is when people say no pain, no gain, you know, because I, I believe that, okay, yeah, of course you work hard and, you know, and, um, but, you know, you can still have your cake and eat it too. You know, if you have a harmonious passion, you can, mm-hmm. you work hard, you know, you obviously, you know, you become, you want to improve and you work on the, on the hard stuff, you know, and like in, in, uh, in basketball, be able to, you know, learn how to do, to make a, a left-handed layup if you're right-handed and, or in music, if you're, uh, the first time you try to have those bar chords, you know, and your wrist burns like crazy and you keep going, harmonious and obsessive will give you that. But can you still have a life and be happy and come back the next day? So these things are important, you know, and people have the, I believe the, and our data suggests that the, the wrong belief that you need to make a choice between excellence and well-being. And it's not the case. That's not what we find. Do you think our society uh, overemphasizes the obsessive passion? Clearly, uh, you, you know, society promotes the no pain, no gain. Uh, you know, uh, no time for sleep. Or you should always be working. Uh, you know, th- especially, that kind of especially a North American society. I think does does that. Yes, mm-hmm. um, you know the also the emphasis on on winning and and clear example right now with the American election, which is terrible you know in the <laughs> sense that you, you know as if you know losing it's you know it's it's bad instead of trying to see how we can promote uh especially you know with obsessive passion you know it, it's the ego that takes over right mm-hmm. i mean and that's referring to the uh, the american elections and 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 how people you know you know there's no there's no self outside of winning or something. And then instead of trying to see how we can promote, you know, like the well-being, my well-being and that of others as well, mm-hmm. uh, which is, it's not a, uh, you know, a, a, a win-loss, you know, some game. It, it's basically, you know, we can have more than one winner here, you know, and, and uh, people have not been used to look at it from this perspective. In fact, we have devised a scale that we're going to be sent for, we're going to be sending for publication. We call it, um, office, which is in an acronym that was developed initially in, in the, in the, for the work domain, but the opt, optimal functioning in society. Mm-hmm. And I believe that, you know, people are passionate in a more harmonious way toward a given activity like work or their studies or sports, whatever, while they would experience the benefits on, and on this thing that we call office and which is made up of five elements, which is, um, you know, well, it's more like op- psychological, physical, health and relational well-being performance 
high level of performance, the, the activity you're passionate about, and contributing to society. And that the, the fifth one we kind of forget or we don't pay enough attention to, but can I do something and still perform to a high level and will it contribute to other people? And I think that this, we find that, that passion leads people to engage a harmonious passion in a more positive way that would lead to these things that, you know, the well-being performance and contributing to others' well-being as well. And so mm-hmm. I think that we kind of forget that other people are involved in the activity outside of it, in co- our communities and society at large. Do you, do you think that you can be a, um, a Michael Jordan or a Kobe Bryant or like a, an eminent athlete, like the absolute best in your sport without obsessive passion? And I'm not talking about, you know, someone who makes it to the NBA or like a really good NBA player. No, I'm saying like the absolute best of the best. Do you think you can reach that pinnacle without being? I, 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 re- I really believe it. Uh, I, because I, and I'll make the distinction between, you know, making the time, a lot of time for your craft mm-hmm. and being obsessive. They're not the same thing. You know, um, for instance, you know, there was just like a survey a couple of months ago in, 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 in Canada and the average number of hours that, that university professors, you know, spend on their craft, on their work is about 52 hours. Okay. So now 52 hours for a lot of people is a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, if you take away like, like sleep and everything, eight hours a day, seven days, so 56, you know, we have 100. So there's still about 110 hours that you still have at your disposal. If I spent 52 and maybe another five, six for traveling, whatever, uh, then you still have a, a good 40, 40 some hours. What do you do with the 40 hours? Do you still ruminate or do you want to spend a little bit more time on your, you know, work or something? Or do you spend time on, on other activities you may be passionate about, which like music or uh, sports or so on. It's up to you, you know? So if you take professional sport, if you spent like seven, eight hours a day, you know, and so it's a good 60 hours or something and you work on, on your craft, but then there's still some time left and it's up to you to decide what you want to do with that time. And to give you some other example, uh, Shaq is one of the top 50 basketball players of all time, right? made some films, made some CDs, he, you know, he's a rapper mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. and uh, gets involved in, and he did a couple of movies. People may say, well, they're not great, but it's not the point. The point is that you can involve in some of the stuff as well. Uh, there were some, uh, some NBA players that were also jazz musician and they did some CDs and, and so on. So yeah, it is, it's up to you. I, I, I believe that if people, you know, want to open up, right i mean to to what's around them and everything and 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 let go of the rumination that is associated with obsessive passion you can actually you know engage in these other activities with your family and so on and then so i don't think that obsessive passion is a prerequisite to become a top performer in your field Mm -hmm. i do believe though that you need to be passionate if you're not passionate I'm not the only one saying that. I think as Steve Jobs said that years ago, you know, if you want to launch a company, if you're not passionate, forget about it. It's too hard. Reaching excellence is hard. It's not easy. Uh, it doesn't mean though that you need to put 100% of all your energies into it to reach the top. You, you can still put in 75, 80%, still save some to have a life and be happy. And then you can reach the benefits, you know, on both sides, life mm-hmm. and the main activity. So yeah, it is possible to, to reach excellence and, you know, 
uh, in some of the fields and as well as, in, you know, as a professional athlete. Mm-hmm. So, so we just talked about uh, the signs that someone is, is in obsessive passion. Um, what are some uh, courses of action they can take to revert back to harmonious, switch the type of passion that they have for right. the same activity? Right. Um, well, one of the findings that we get is that obsessive passion is basically a compensatory mechanism. A lot of people engage in obsessive passion because they don't have the need satisfaction in, in the rest of their life. So when they do find an activity that makes sense to them, they overengage in it and then spend ruminate and spend time and everything. And then they go a bit crazy about this new activity or this activity that they, they're passionate about and become obsessive about it. So to because we understand where it comes from, then we can maybe provide some solution and uh, that's some of the research we're doing right now is looking at that, which is try instead of take away the activity people are passionate about because they're obsessive and it may lead to a negative effect. What we say is, so, well, don't touch it, but try to include some additional like, new activity in their life now. Mm-hmm. So add something to your life instead of taking away what's it, what is working. They found something passionate. And if it is adaptive, like sport, music or whatever, then leave it there but add something else that they will enjoy. And preferably they will also engage with other people, uh, family members, friends, whatever. So actually it will deal with some more than one uh, uh, type of need. So obviously with, uh, with passion, you become competent and so on. You reach levels of excellence. But if you do it with others, you will deal with relatedness that self-determination theory is talking about and so on. So you select, yourself, you know, where, you, you know, what kind of activity you'd like to add to your life. So this kind of thing is when I talk to clinicians and, 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 and life coaches and so on, people take a while and say, wow, that's not what I, how I would have gone about it. You know, people want to work on what seems to be the problem, but sometimes the problem is not, you know, where we think it is. That's why we say, don't, don't touch what seems to be working, although they may be obsessive about it, but trying to add something to their life so which is kind mm-hmm. of interesting um so what i was gonna uh, ask you as a, as a follow-up on that is um do you think passion is do you think we all have something to be passionate about like there's always something for each one of us to find and, and be passionate about or is it possible that we just uh, sometimes don't find it well, I think that uh, it, it depends on, on, on the people. But like I said, you know, previously, there's about 80% of people, 80, 85% of people who have uh, developed a passion in life. There's a, around 20% of people who, who, ha- who have not. Now, there, there's a caveat to that. You know, we've done two studies and, and because they're, you know, any kind of study is a, is a snapshot of where these people are at this point in time. And we didn't know. Uh, and then we're going to be looking at this this possibility, but we didn't know at that point in time if they had lost a passion or if they have never had a passion in their life. But these people were obviously they were suffering psychologically. They were not as happy as other people who do have a passion, and and so you no, know, we 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 had a a number of variables we looked at, um, and and it seems that people who are non passionate may not may not allow themselves. To, to enjoy life a bit, you know, as if, you know, I don't deserve it or whatever. And they don't dare look for possibilities. So if you don't look for it, obviously you won't find it. Uh, 
uh, Ben Schellenberg, uh, who's a uh, scientist at the University of Manitoba doing research on, on, on passion in sport, uh, found that openness to experience, which is a, you know, a trait of the big five, uh, is, is a key variable, personal variable that will dictate if people find passion and actually predicts if people may be passionate for more than one activity in their life. So openness to experience. If people are low on opening up, then obviously mm -hmm. they won't be able to, to come up with something because they don't dare explore their inner environment and so on and look at possibilities. So if you only look under the lamppost because that's the only place where there's some light, well, I mean, you may not find what you're looking for. But if you dare, if you buy like a flashlight and then you start exploring your environment, then you may find something there that is more in line. And that's the key in line with your identity. So mm -hmm. you, need to, you need to connect. In fact, the work of uh, uh, Jacques uh, Forrest at uh, UQAM and then uh, uh, and Dubreuil, uh, they, they found that uh, if you know yourself more, you're more likely and then you're encouraged to behave in line with your strength as a person, then you're more likely to develop a harmonious passion for a given activity. So that is important. So that, you know, the great philosophers, you know, had some of the stuff right, you know, know thyself and, and the good things will happen. So uh, that is one way if you, uh, you know, there's some strength inventory that exists, people can complete and find out more about themselves and their strength. And then if you focus on the top five, that's usually the, the way people do it. Then you can start looking for activities and, 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 or, and also tailor your activity in more in line with, you know, if you're, if you're you know, an introverted person and you're into sales, well, maybe it's, maybe it's not the thing for you, you know, mm -hmm. but within the company and Gallup did that years ago, you know, using that similar instrument, trying to find and, and change people from position to another one to tailor, you know, uh, the, the job in line with the person's strength. And that, that seems to have worked very nicely. So it seems like for passion, um, because it, it's common for young people, and I was in that situation for a while, uh, where we don't have anything to be passionate about, you know, during at least like during a brief period of time. Um, is it is it a matter of instead of because I feel like the common advice that we hear regarding passion is like it will find you, it will it will come to you. The opposite is true. We have to go out there. We have to find it for ourselves, try different things, see what we like, what we don't like, discover yeah. more about ourselves. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, you know, it, it can be. And, and and then, you know, this has some implications for parents as well. You know, mm -hmm. um, I believe that one of the responsibilities that we have as parents is to create some kind of environment. I call it the, the cafeteria approach. So basically you get into the cafeteria and then you have a lot of options. Our job is to offer these possibilities to our kids and not to say, okay, now from now on, you know, the only thing that makes sense in this household is basically basketball. Nothing else works. I love basketball. You guys will play basketball. Any questions? Okay. Go outside and play. That's not the way it works. You know, you know, you may, you may love basketball, but what is it that your kids love? And your job is to help, you know, help them explore their environment and, and some, in some families, if, if the parents do that, then eventually things will happen. So go to the community center. Okay, let's see this summer what we're going to be trying. Okay, so let's see. Or this winter, what would you like to try? You know, these are the possibilities and so on. Now, you know, you have to take into consideration the fact that if you do engage in this activity, we'll try to see it through the end. 
right? Okay, so remember, you know, so so try to because then and then to give you a good chance to understand if you like it or not. And then, so it's it's like uh, you know eight ten weeks or something. So we'll need to go. But then you know it's your call. So what would you like to try this time around? And then and see what happens, you know. And then so you have to be astute as a parent and and. Um, you know, I'm not sure who said that, but it's it's so true that we have two ears and one mouth. So the reason why we have two ears is to listen a bit more. Right. And, and so the kids will tell you, you know, if, if, even if they don't dare tell you right away, listen and what's happening and the way they speak and everything and give you some ideas of what you would like to try out and, and see what happens. So create an environment. Also, as a teacher, you know, you'll have to impose the, the term paper to be on this topic, you know. There's a variety of, uh, for instance, I've over the years I've changed the way I um, I teach my doctoral course, uh, either on motivation or uh, on on passion. It used to be that the famous or infamous term paper was the golden road and everything. I give them the choice to obviously you know uh, to do a term paper on any topic they want within you know the, the sphere of the, the course, but now they can do research if they want to. And then in any area they want to, and then they, and they can work in teams individually and so on, because the key is to learn, mm -hmm. to learn and do something that you may become passionate about or enjoy and so on. And uh, so create an, an, a learning environment, I think is important as a worker, as a teacher, as, as a boss, as a parent and so on. And good things usually happen. What about if you're a coach, like we're talking sports specific here, how can you create a harmonious passion environment for your athletes? Well, within, you know, within like such a competitive environment where like it's a win business. Right. I'll give you give you an example because I was just in the, sent an email to my one of my former coaches uh, last night because, as you probably know, uh, Tommy Heinsohn from the Celtics died on Tuesday, and and Tommy was one of the uh, initial you know Celtics uh, with Bill Russell and Bob Cousy and so on. And Russell and Cousy are still around. Uh, we've lost uh, Hondo Havlicek and. Uh, uh, Frank Ramsey and so on, but uh, and, and uh, we so we exchange uh, ideas and, and stuff. And mm. um, the reason why I I, I uh, talk about this is that um, when I was uh, growing up in high school, you know, I, I I grew about six inches one year, and obviously they wanted me to to be a center uh, back in the day. You know when you know this this uh, Canadian team, you know, we the center was about six six one or something. Uh, it wasn't like seven, eight, like it is today. Jesus, I tell you, it's not only that, but people seven to seven three shooting a three point shot. I mean, yeah. the yeah. European, the Euro Europeans have changed the, the NBA game. I tell you, yeah. uh, it, it's not enough to be under the basket, be able to dunk. You have to be able mm -hmm. to shoot and, and develop fully as, as an athlete and as a, as a player. And very, very, very interesting. And, um, that's why I think that uh, it's important to consider what people may be saying. And the, the, this coach, you know, wanted me, wanted me to play center. I said, listen, my dad is 5'6". My mom is 5'3". I won't be 6'6". Six, six. I'll be 6'6". Six, six, at, at the top, this is probably the end of my growth. I'll be a point guard or shooting guard at best. Let me play guard. So I was the tallest player on my team, and he let me play guard. So as a coach, you have to be, have to be astute enough to say, uh, I would have resisted being a, a center or I would have gone into it, you know, half-heartedly half or something. So, but I told him, you know, I, I, I want to be playing, I want to play guard. 
he said, yeah, I get, I get you. Okay, fine. We'll do. Okay, we'll 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 get around it. And then back in the day, this is years ago. Also, when I was in 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 high school, um, last year of high school, you know, I was a decent player. So the coach came in and decided to do the, this one thing. Each player individually will get in and talk with him, and, and he would ask the basic questions. Two questions. Okay. Before we start the season. What is your team goal and your individual goal? Gee, now we're talking in the 70s. This guy is asking me as a head coach, what are my individual and team goals? Team goals said, we want to go to the provincial and hopefully win the whole thing. Anything can happen. Let's go to the provincial. Individual goal, I want to finish top score. So, you know, I left it at that. He took notes and everything. And then, and then, Funny thing happened, you know, I thought, you know, that this was just either for show or listening or something. Then, you know, we were a pretty good team. So sometimes we would be winning by 25 or something. And then he would take the starting five out. And sometimes he would take me out. Sometimes he'd leave me in. And I could see him go over the, the score sheet and have a look. I didn't know at the time because what he did is that he took away the score sheet. We didn't know how many points we scored. You wanted a team concept and everything. But he took seriously what I said as individual goal. And he, mm -hmm. there was a scoring race between me and some other player. He just want to make sure that my individual goal will also happen at the same time that the team goal will take place. I finished top scorer that year uh, because he took my individual goal seriously. Uh, and the, the individual goal did not take away you know, the, the, from the, the team goal. So there is this thing about listing and providing autonomy and supporting your athletes that can be done if you're a head coach. And obviously some head coachmen that feel secure doing that, others mm -hmm. may, may feel secure doing it. But I believe that if you take your athletes seriously and provide them with autonomy, good thing can happen. That reminds me of a story, uh, jo uh, Joel Quenville, I think he was coaching St. Louis at the time. And he was asking, uh, it was towards the end of the season and he passed the a piece of paper around in the bus and asked all the players write down your bonuses that you have to you know it was coming up to the towards the end of the season so write down whatever you have left to achieve to get your bonus right and i'll try my best to do them and one guy was like all he needed was one goal and it was the last game and he played him all game long <laughs> just so he can get that one goal so he can get the 50k or 100k or whatever it is that he well you know it's, it's that's a good point you know like uh, obviously kenville you know had great coaching career and because people you know do, do, do the athletes want to play for you if you respect them uh, mm -hmm. you know you'll be you'll be passionate you know to play with this coach and coaches just like you know at work boss and and teachers and so on uh they 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 have a big say in what's gonna you know, happen in terms of your passion and and obviously um you, you will face you know tough situations i remember when i was on the quebec team um Actually, the coach, you know, we, we had this thing among ourselves, the players, you know, said, don't let the coach come between you and your passion for the game. And, and some coaches, I mean, it's, so you have to, you know, if you still have some kind of cohesion among the players, it will help. But obviously, it's not the full spectrum as if the coach is part of it, too. Uh, but some back in the day, in the 70s, you know, with the Montreal Canadiens, Scotty Bowman, who was back in the day, you know, was a great coach. You know, he made it a point to unite the players against him. Yeah, yeah. So that was back in the day. It wouldn't work today. Yeah, yeah. That's. I mean, I think. Um, I think uh, 
are in my Keenan did did similar things too, where like they know what buttons to push, even if it's against them, as long as it gets the team to unite and be yeah. harmonious and yeah. And especially if especially if they have this kind of uh, assumption mm-hmm. that 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 uh, for instance obsessive passion uh, is is what they want, you know, from the athlete. Uh, they will to great. They will go to great length to to achieve that. For instance, a story with uh, Maurice Richard, the Rocket, who played for the Montreal Canadiens um, early in his career. His coach was Dick Irvin, and Dick Irvin thought that Richard was was not as passionate as he would like him to be. So one one point he said, you know, oh Richard, by the way, you're not playing tonight. He took all the hockey sticks and threw them, you know, in the hallway and everything, and. The next game, I think he had three or four goals. The problem is that you play into the hands of your coach when you do that, because then he created a situation that led you to be successful. Mm-hmm. But we don't know if he had been, he would have been successful anyways. So mm-hmm. it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy that, you know, I was led them to be behave in such a way mm-hmm. as a coach and that created that, but it would have been, you know, and from, from other co- other athletes, you may actually you know, lead us to a situation where you will, they will underperform because some people might need support and so on. So you have to be careful as a coach or as a boss or a parent. Yeah, it's a risky, risky play for sure. Exactly. Um, one more thing regarding obsessive and harmonious before we move on just to the, to the yeah. last two questions. Um, we mentioned that openness to experience is related to finding um, likelihood of finding passion, likelihood of... Um, do you think that people who are high in neuroticism would be more likely to be obsessive, for example? Like, do you think that if we do it, if everyone does a big five test and finds out more about their personality, they can learn more about their passion? Yeah, I think it's a very good point. We, there, uh, we've done a study published in 2019 in the, uh, I think it's personality individual differences that not, not only looked at, at the big five, but also the facets of the big five. So yeah. we the, the huge instrument, you know, like the 260 question or whatever it is. And we do find that, for instance, neuroticism is, is a moderately strong predictor of obsessive passion, uh, maybe plus 0.35 or something like that. So the more, the higher your level of uh, neuroticism, the more obsessive you're likely to be toward the activity you're passionate about. Um, I think extroversion and, and uh, maybe conscientiousness was good. They were good predictors of harmonious passion, uh, openness to experience as well. I think with harmonious passion, uh, so the, the big five can come into play in different ways. That's a very mm-hmm. good. Uh, the other thing is that some of the facets there were some nuances with the facets, but basically the you know the uh, the the big five actually they were different predictors. Also another one that we find is uh, perfectionism. Is, is an important predictor. Um, uh, there, there are two types of you know, perfectionism, the, the more uh, socially prescribed, which is the imposed pressure, socially imposed pressure to be performed, either from parents or from, from other people around you to, to be good, will lead to obsessive passion, where the more self-ascribed uh, type of perfectionism will, will lead more to harmonious passion. Uh, and there's a few other ones as well. Uh, also the, the social, conditions are important so allowing people to have more autonomy so if you provide autonomy support it will lead to harmonious passion to be overprotective protective as a parent lead more to obsessive passion control nature of the activity uh, task autonomy allowing people to tailor the tasks to to their needs will lead to harmonious passion and so on so these are more determinants of 
of, of passion. Amen. Uh, what what has been like a a result of a study that surprised you the most over over the yeah well studying this we we've done you know several ones here and there um, one that is kind of this that really sticks in my mind is is uh, the one we've done with yoga mm-hmm. um, you know there there were people challenging us and say well you know maybe just you know the the Nike app just do it right I mean if you just do it thing will be fine you know and and for us, our perspective, it's not only what you do, it's how you do it, right? I mean, it's uh, if you're, you do it more out of harmonious passion, it should lead to more adaptive outcomes than with obsessive passion. It doesn't mean that obsessive passion will give you some of the good stuff. It can't. You will persist, you know, and eventually, physically, you, you may develop some, some stamina and, and improve your skills and so on. You will. It's not you don't get the whole package and you you can experience burnout and, and so on. So with yoga, people were saying, well, if people just do it, I think they should be fine. But as we know, there are different types of yoga out there and, and people can do it actually in different ways and so on. So we we, we did two studies that were published um, a few years ago, I think 2009 in Journal of Positive Psychology. And, and, and we did a study one, which was cross-sectional in nature. And study two, we followed people over a certain... Um, number of months. And what we find is that, you know, what we expected is that, you know, if you do yoga out of harmonious passion, all the good stuff that you hear about yoga will happen. So the more relaxed, you know, you experience positive emotion while doing it, it will lead to physical health in, in the rest of your life. So all the uh, fewer symptoms, you know, like fatigue and so on. But if you do it out of obsessive passion, only one thing will happen. You experience negative emotion and anxiety while doing yoga. So we, we were kind of surprised to find what we were looking for, but that's what we predicted and so as we find. So even with yoga, it's not you know doing it, it's how you do it. If you do it, because what we find, and we didn't publish those additional findings, but people with obsessive passion would sort of look around and say, oh my God, I can do that. You know, wow, this person is so much better than I am. And then all these, you know, ruminative thoughts and negative thoughts start happening. And then you don't appreciate what you can do. And you don't look, you know, what you were, how you were before and how you've improved yourself and how it provides you with, you know, good nutrients, psychological nutrients in your life. And so say, so, oh, my God, I'm incompetent. Or, I can do that. And then you start become anxious and so on. And don't, you, you don't derive the good stuff that you should get from engaging in the activity. So that's one of the surprising studies that we we got uh, from you know our research. So even the most beneficial, uh, healthy experiences uh, or activities, if we do them obsessively and we're not engaging in them harmoniously, we'll we're only doing ourselves. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so uh, let's let's end on this. Um, after you know years of experience in this field, you've written uh, hundreds of articles, books, given lectures and talks. Uh, what message? or advice can you leave people with regarding uh, passion? Well, if I, in a nutshell, what I would suggest is that, you know, I think that one of the basic need that we have as individuals is to, um, is to grow. Uh, and one of the uh, positive uh, things that you get, you know, from being passionate is not only to have a good time to experience a positive emotion, but to keep growing now the question is, you know, with uh, uh, you know, harmonious passion, you can grow within the activity you love, but also in the rest of your life. Whereas with obsessive passion, you will grow, but the expense perhaps of 
what is happening in the rest of your life. So basically it's a choice. People don't realize it, but deep down it's a choice you make between being harmoniously passionate or obsessively passionate toward a given activity. And people can choose to, to experience full growth in their life or partial growth. Uh, and then it's then once you've made that decision, conscious decision, then you can choose and how you go be engaging in the activity and focusing more on your self-improvement and self-growth and being better than other people and, and beating other people. And I, you know, and when you listen to top level athletes and performers, you know, one thing about LeBron James I really love is, you know, you ask him, you know, when the, you know, reporters, you know, and journalists ask him, you know, so what do you want to achieve, you know, in the, in the playoffs and everything? He said, well, let's try to be as good as we can be and good things will happen. This is such a refreshing perspective. Instead of, we're going to cream the other team, you know, we're going to beat them so hard, they won't even know what hit them and stuff. No, let's try to be as good as we can. Let's, let's display, you know, and, and try to reach, you know, what we can reach mastery kind of goal, you know, and then good things will happen and we'll see what we can do. And that's basically, I think, what people need to do. And especially in, during this pandemic time that we're going through with the COVID, I think that either trying to engage in the activity of passion, but will help you go through this. And if you cannot do it, then why not develop a new passion for something? Mm -hmm. It's time to expand you know, the spectrum of your interests and perhaps a new passion and so on. It is, you, you may have more time on your hands. So instead of, instead of dwelling on the negative, let's open up and focus on the positive, maybe develop some, some new stuff. So I've been trying to find new ways to, you know, strumming the guitar and, and trying to, you know, the James Taylor kind of, you know, finger picking stuff, you know, it's a, which is a bit hard, but that's fine, you know, and, or trying to develop some, some new stuff. Maybe you want to, trying on ukulele but open up expand and it's a time to do it we do have more time on our hands so maybe let's try to do that and and grow as not only as athletes or in one field but as individuals so let's let's put the growth at the forefront as the, as the priority and expand our our kind of horizon of, of interests and exactly find something we're passionate about. that's great exactly. thanks so much for uh, for your time for this great advice and i'm sure people are gonna love this because again this is um it, it is a sports science show but i think this this episode is a lot is about a lot more than just sports um it's about life in general so thanks so cool. much